Welcome, everyone. I want to start by telling you why this podcast exists. Here's the thing. If you get out of bed in the morning, you are impacting someone with your life. We are telling a story, and every day is like one chapter in that story. The time will come when there are no more chapters to write, and the people we care about and the people that come after us will simply be reading our book. I don't know about you, but I am not that great of a storyteller, so I have to find an outline to follow. The most amazing outline that I have found is the one that Jesus gave us with his life. This podcast is about talking to people using that outline to write their own amazing stories. Our podcast is produced by Be Fun, Be Kind Podcasts. If you would like to explore podcasting yourself, Check out BeFunBeCon.com to learn how to create impactful conversation through podcasting. That's also where you can learn more about our mission and even partner with us through our journey. You can find us at BeFunBeCon.com forward slash Jesus taught me that. We would also love if you would just share this podcast with someone. Let's get started. Today, we are talking to Dr. Joshua Smith, who is a pastor holds a PhD in theology, and is very passionate about helping the Christian community navigate tough questions related to robotics and AI. Dr. Smith, it is good to have you back on. We've spent time in a previous episode talking about robotics and talking about the book that you have written specifically about robotics, but you also dive a lot into AI, which is what we're going to be focusing on here. And the name of your book is Robotic Persons. That is definitely a deep dive specifically from a Christian perspective of how we should be approaching these topics. I want to start off talking about how we look at AI. What is your perspective of really how we should start thinking about what we are and who we are as humanity as it relates to this conversation of artificial intelligence? It's a hard question to answer, but when you really get into it, it comes down to belief, I think. And more and more we're seeing this almost religious-like faith that certain scientists have about what makes us unlike a machine, what makes us, or some people believe that we are essentially machines. And so you think about the metaphors that we use, the eye is a camera, the brain is a computer, all terrible analogies. But those are very popular patterns of thought in, in how we think about the body. And my little boy is very curious about anatomy. So every night we read this, <laughs> we read the same book about the body and I, I see this worldview implanted in there as well, that the the body, the human body is basically a machine. Now I disagree with that. I, I disagree because <clears throat> one, there's a lot of humility you have to have, but two, there's something that we just have to, at the end of the day, submit to, I think as Christians, that we're not going to know all the answers. So if you think about mental states, and there's different perspectives about this, if you really want to go deep to what consciousness is. But there's one particular view in a lot of different scientific theory that the only thing that matters in this world is physical. Matters, physical, all that stuff. And I disagree with that. So there's no room for the supernatural in that worldview. And there's even Christians like Nancy Murphy who would argue that what's known as physicalism, only things that matter are physical, is the best way to go. Now, that's a belief, right? That's more informed by your belief than any empirical data. 
And so I put my cards on the table, so to speak, in a lot of different ways uh, in the book and in my other writings that I believe that the soul gives form, whatever the soul is in its immaterialness, I don't know. How would you describe a mental thought physically? How can you observe it? You can't, right? You have to have first-person perspective to think about a thought. I can't know your thoughts. I can hear you tell me them, but that's from a third-person party, okay? And so people that are physicalists, they would say, no, I, I can observe them on a CT scan or whatever, but that's still third party. So I believe that the soul is real. I believe it's important. We don't talk about it anymore. It's dissolved out of scientific thought. It's even dissolved out of a lot of a Christian thought too. So there, there's got to be some way for us to be a person beyond our body, right? Because this body is not going to go to heaven. Your body is not going to go. It's the soul. And so we discredit that. So I think it's important we should talk about it more. And I think a human, in, in the most basic sense that I could say, is the combination of a soul and a body. They're not equal, but they're, they're two parts of the same whole, okay? And I think that's really important. And that makes me a substance dualist. I think the, there are two different substances there that are in the same shell, okay? I don't believe that, they, and that's when you talked about the identity principle. I don't think they're equal for that reason, and that makes a lot of sense if you think about just physical science in general. But how we should think about AI, and that's really important as it relates to that question about what it means to be human, because in the 1960s, when people started first asking this question at Dartmouth, can we teach a machine to think like a human? You automatically see this worldview being imposed on the inception of this technology that is going to think like a human, that it, we're trying to get it to a point where it can replicate humans. And even in their thought patterns and their hopes, I would say even their theology, they wouldn't call it that, but that's what I would call it, is that their hope is placed in extending their life beyond bodily limitations extending their cognition beyond our mental limitations. And that is, in essence, what AI is in its inception. Now, there's another layer to that that's really important that we don't hear about, that's not popular, but that AI is also, from its inception, a militaristic warfighting application. That is why companies are the DOD and and DARPA, with all their research invested in researchers like Marvin Minsky, Rodney Brooks, and the reason why Rodney Brooks, the same guy that makes the Roomba, the iRobot company, also makes the PackBot, which is a bomb retrieval <laughs> robot. So that's the same company. So you've got to look behind the veil with this technology. And I think not just with AI, but any technology, there's something behind it. Okay, there's people, there's resources, there's funds, there's cost, real cost to this technology. And it begins in labs, for sure. It begins just as academic exercises, but then it becomes very dangerous if it's not understood and if it's not regulated. So how do we think about it in relation to humans is, is one, it's not like us. It's not like us. It never will be like us. Even though we're trying to make it 
in our image, we have a God complex in a lot of ways. And I was speaking to one researcher in the Netherlands. She asked me, you know, many of my students are not believers. They're not Christian. They don't believe in God, but they don't believe that we should play God. <laughs> she asked, why do you think that is? I, was like, I don't know. Other than I, I think that what Paul says is true is that we, even from natural theology and environments, we have a, a built-in kind of disposition to want to understand a God. Maybe it's not enough to tell us about Yahweh God or about Jesus, but it's enough to push us to say, is there something beyond me? And and that's basically the response I gave her. But for each individual, I have no clue, but it's there. And even small children, they're not born atheists necessarily. They will develop some idea of transcendence. They will just naturally, even if you don't teach them. And you can cultivate that for sure, but you could also harm it. So I don't know if that answered your question. I think it definitely dives in to what I was trying to hit on. And actually, I think it leads into a, a second point that I think is interesting to talk about is the overlap in some of these conversations. Do you see similarities in the conversations and in the topics that are taking place between if someone is of an atheistic mindset and of someone coming to this from a Christian perspective. So you mentioned transcendence. So that is something from a Christian perspective that to some level we we can all get on board with. This is maybe the first time that we've seen someone from an atheistic perspective start having those same types of thoughts and those same types of conversations. And that's really intriguing. What is the insight that comes out of someone of both mindsets talking about similar functions and, and similar concepts? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to me. Uh, there's a lot of different fascinating levels that we could talk about in that question about the, the interconnectedness of all these conversations with people I never would have ever been privileged to know or talk to about this. And, and atheists have read my book, one, when I wrote it for Christians. But the community that read it was mostly non-Christian which is fascinating to me because for them, this is something they've been thinking about for a while and they have been thinking about it for 10 years. Plus David Gunkel, who's a professor up in Chicago, he wrote a book called robot rights 10 years ago. And he was talking about this stuff 10 years ago. And it was just like that. I can't even imagine thinking about this 10 years ago and what was going on in my life. I think I was in Iraq or something like that. And it's like a totally different area of life, but and we're, and we're friends now and we talk about this often. It's almost like there is a religious presupposition in a lot of people's belief about technology and that AI and robots just, it just brings it out to the forefront. It, it, to me, I just see it so clearly now that it is an amazing medium to have not just conversations, but actually spiritually our spiritual and theological conversations that we would never be engaged in otherwise. When people asking my opinion about ethics who do not share mine at all and having open conversations about it and like healthy conversations, I would even say that I can't even have with certain Christian colleagues. Like, and it, it, it causes me to pause for and ponder that for time to time, like, why can't we have a conversation like that? 
in the local church? Or how come I got to go speak to an atheist professor or whatever? And we have more civil conversations about more controversial things than I could go have a conversation with about something with my Christian brother. So I, I think it's a wonderful area to do theology again and to bridge a lot of these spaces that we've been kicked out of, so to speak, for a long time because we lost our credibility in the academic world and it used to not be that way in the middle ages science theology they were together and i think that's that can be a good thing it could also go very poorly if you get certain theologies wrong it can go bad but anyway so i think that encourages me a lot that's a very positive thing that i've seen but yeah on a on a more negative level sometimes when it, when it draws out someone's theology, as I call it, I just call it what it is. Because that's a theology that you have. It's about God. It's about transcendence, all those things. And a lot to do with what's known as metaphysics, about being. So that's what we've been talking about, what makes something a human or a machine. Man, when you get into that conversation, you see the religious belief just explode about, like, there's nothing that you could prove there's nothing you show me to prove that's what you believe. So why do you believe that? And for me, theists get picked on sometimes for saying God of the gaps and that God did it. And I'm like, you're, you're saying the same thing. It's the same argument. And why is that one any better than the one I'm making? This is what all of my philosophy and theology is based on. These understandings of who God is. And I don't make the rules up. I don't get to change certain doctrines because I don't like them. That doesn't give me a license to be ugly or to be rude to anybody. And, and I still treat people with dignity and respect, even if we disagree. And I think it goes back to our public witness. And we might be missing out on a huge opportunity and not to proselytize or anything like that, but to actually be a positive witness for the local church in so many different communities that may have had a horrible experience with a pastor or church community, and they've never seen an academic pastor theologian. They've never seen that. They've never seen a civil engagement between, and for many people, they're like, you're the first pastor that I've spoken to. And so, okay, what if I was really rude and really judgmental and all those things that, for better or for worse, so that's, I'm their example in some ways. And so I try to be a good one. I hope I am anyway. And and the question I ask a lot in, in the book and in my research is not what a certain theologian would say or not what a certain church historical figure would say about this issue and look through that lens. How would Jesus really approach this issue of AI and robotics? How would he approach certain related issues? And th now, there's not robots and AI in the Bible, so to speak, but that idea of longing for power for transcendence, for security, all those things there. And Jesus deals with them. He deals with desire, all those things that are wrapped up in this conversation uh, of hope and fear and, and courage and all these things. He deals with all of that. And it's very implicit in his anthropology about how we are to treat people who are not like us. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all really powerful points. And I think the example that you gave of this being a connecting point between the Christian community and people that we have never really been able to talk before. And I've actually experienced something very similar to this as well. People are mm. uniquely interested in understanding 
how someone from a Christian perspective might think about this. For one, with something like AI, the principle of ethics is an extremely important part when we start talking about AI. And when we come together with someone on this conversation that maybe has a different perspective, they probably realize how powerful getting the aspect of ethics down around where we are taking AI five years, 10 years, 50 years down the road. And I think 50 years from now, the way technology progresses, I think a lot of things can take place uh, in that time span. Mm -hmm. And when we look at ethics, when we look at morality, of course, from my point of view, I don't know a better example to look at than Jesus and how he approached this. And so I think, number one, what you just said is, is really important, that this is an amazing connecting point with people outside of our community. Something else that I think is really interesting for us just to talk about and understand about AI moving forward is that we have never before had to understand a tool that could outsource intelligence for us. So if you look at human development, before this period, the things that we have developed have handled a very specific physical task. So it's moving a rock, or it's creating clothes, mm -hmm. creating a car, for example. And so we're very happy to outsource that because it allows us to fill our time with something else. But we have never, from a mental and ethics and societal standpoint thought through what would it actually be like to outsource thinking, to outsource knowledge, and to mm. not need to do that anymore. And this is a conversation, this is an understanding and a concept that we are approaching with AI. And that really starts to redefine what is value for us. What do we do if we don't have to go to college to learn knowledge? What do we do with our value systems? How do we interact with society? Mm. What is our purpose in society? And so I think all of those make the conversation really important for Christians to have. And so what are your thoughts on those principles? Yeah, I see it in in college students. I see it in senior adults, when you have a, a major transition that so, so much of our society is built around, we value work. We value, we, f we find our identity in work sometimes. I don't fully agree with that. I don't think that's the best place to ground your identity, but we do. And, and I like work. I like what I do. I like working. And so you think about the, just on a, a psychological level, like you said, the impact of not having a purpose, of not having a reason to get up and automation and AI it's projected to outsource a lot of jobs and people said people have been saying that for 200 years what's a little bit different than what happened in the industrial revolution and it, it may not replace every job for sure but there's a lot of work that will be automated as soon as it's financially feasible and the incentives are there, which kind of goes back to the discussion about legal reform. But anyway, it's going to be, I think, a very detrimental impact on society. I think what will happen is not the utopia that we're promised and that some scholars think that automation of AI will lead to us having more leisure time. And there will be a transitioning period where we get over these value judgments about work and stuff like that. I don't know. 
I don't know about that. I could be wrong, but I, I think that it will, will go the opposite way. And maybe I'm a little bit of a pessimist in my anthropology, but pastorally, it's hard. It's hard for me <laughs> to wrap my mind around people having excessive free time, no reason to go to work, and that equals human flourishing. That's hard for me to to grasp. Now, I'm not the smartest person in the world. But I understand that, but it's hard for me to understand that when I see and conversate with with different people who they want so desperately to be able to do the things they used to do, to be a part of the relationships they used to be a part of. And I think the disruption of this technology will be much farther than we are willing to go. It's going to take us farther than we, we really want to go. And because we're not thinking about it, the decisions are being made for us. And if we don't participate in the discussion, then we have to take responsibility and say, we didn't listen, we didn't join the conversation. And I think that's also going to be a hard pill to swallow. But I would hope that we have a deep enough and rich enough theology of, of who God is and his sovereignty to, to understand that even if automation does replace my job, it, it's, it is not who I am in totality. If I'm crippled tomorrow and I can't do this or whatever, I can't write anymore or I can't teach anymore or whatever it is, I'm like physically handicapped all the way down. And would it be a struggle? Yeah, it would be a struggle. But hopefully my theology is deep enough to carry me through that. And that's an individual value that you have to work through as a human. Understanding finiteness, as I, I like to talk about with our people, and embracing the reality, uh, as Paul says, of the eternal and, and that balance that Paul says in the body is like an old tent. It's going to wear out when you're going to die. I say that a lot to my church members. You're going to die one day. So think about your life. Think about the things that you want to leave behind and, and legacy and all those things. So I think work relates to that in a lot of important ways. And, and work is not a curse, too. So going back to Genesis narrative with the cultivation and dominion and all those things, it, it's not something to be subverted. And, and I think in a lot of ways that's tied up in this conversation as well is I don't think it would be helpful psychologically unless you're willing to say that the pandemic has been a positive experience for a lot of people who've been put out of work. They've had more leisure time, they've had an unemployment. So we would sh we should see more flourishing in the psychological state of more people. But I don't think that's the case. You have people going to replica you have people going to all these different places because they are lonely because they are bored all all these different like splinters that have resulted from just this one disruption of work over the 18 months it's hard for me to believe that if you extend that and we have infinite resources it's going to cause flourishing that's hard for me to reconcile with. Yeah, absolutely. The way I think about it, which may be slightly different than what you just described. I think it might take us a second to get to this point, but I believe at some point there will always be value for us to commit to in being around other humans and serving other humans and valuing a human experience. So let's think about the normal 
work. It's doing a you know a physical task, maybe on a computer or maybe architecture or, or something like that. Those might be able to be outsourced as we get more and more advanced in this technology of AI. But the things that really cannot be outsourced is something that I would really specifically place a premium in having with another human. You think back and say, I would have paid extra to have that conversation with that person. I've had that experience before. And I don't know, I guess that's one way I think about a way that we can add value from a human perspective when we're not having to do necessarily physical things. Now, to your point, I believe that it may take a second, maybe even a long time, for us to get there because everyone Mm -hmm. is, number one, not necessarily great at doing service-related jobs. So there would be a development in that area. I think there's a lot of parallels in what you just said and what I just said. I think maybe the difference is the time span in which that takes place. Yeah, and like I said, John Danaher is the scholar I was referring to, and he's written on automation and, and work and stuff like that. And he basically said that there there will be a time span, but it'll be really tough, but then society will adjust and will enjoy more leisure and all those things. And so I think my critique of that, or at least my concern, is that what happens, and maybe it, it does open up the door for a lot of positive things, but I, like I said, pastorally, I tend to be more negative towards anthropology, but it's just really hard for us to say that if you just put the right pieces in place, everything's going to go well when so many times every piece is right and things happen that just don't make sense. You see all kinds of crazy stuff. So maybe I I hope I'm wrong. I really do. But I'm a little skeptical. Sure. We are. (laughs) We're all figuring this out and, and learning this together because this is a new point for us to go down as technology continues to advance. I want to jump back for a second on what we were talking about before, how someone outside of the Christian community Hmm. would think about God. And I, I think there's just a lot of interesting conversations in that. And I know you've talked to a lot of people. So what are your thoughts on that? It makes more sense to me, like you said, to see that we have minds patterned after a divine mind. That there, if there is some something known as consciousness and intelligence, that it must be based off something. And whether or not you believe that is God or some other being, I, I still think that makes more sense than just saying we're going to create a machine and then eventually it's just going to evolve once we make a certain number of processors small enough or complex enough. And I try to help people see it this way. It's really complex to make a simple robot operate simply and it's even more complex to make something autonomous that can handle multiple tiers of operations outside of one particular vein but humans we do complex things and we're very simple organisms if you really think about what we are and we can't replicate that to the best of my knowledge and even in like brain mapping of rats and stuff like that. You think about how small a, a rat's brain is uh, and how long it takes to map that. There have been projects that have been going on for years. And so either one of two things, either we're on a trajectory to where it will happen and 
robots will be smarter than us. And then, as you're saying, it will go from being as smart as a human to be as smart as 10 humans to 100 to 1,000 to all that type of progression, which I, I don't believe. I don't think that's how it will work because how do you measure intelligence? It's not something you can measure empirically. So it, it makes no sense to say, what does 10 minds look like? What does one mind look like? We can map the brain for sure through different scans and stuff like that, but it doesn't give us a what it's like to be in that brain, so to speak. And so I just try to help people see, don't believe some of the hype about what is actually capable and there's some really smart people in these communities, but they have a lot of religious beliefs, too, about what the mind is and what the possibilities of it are. And so I think we can make that correlation in that conversation. If I was talking to somebody about superintelligence, stuff like that is, you know, I think it makes sense to me that there's a divine mind that's patterned, that we're patterned after. And I'll never be a one-to-one correlation of Jesus. I'm supposed to be in his likeness, but I don't become a God when I die and go to heaven, at least in my understanding in theology. I don't become him. He's still the object of my worship. He's still what gives me value in salvation. I don't ever embody that. And so if, if that's the pattern of my reality, as I understand it, and there are things that are true outside of human existence. Two plus two, if you put two rocks on Mars, whether or not we exist, it's still two rocks. Math still exists without us. So there must be some being out there that defines logic, space, matter, all these things that that hold us together that we base intelligence off of. So I, I just approach it that way. We can conversate about intelligence and, and have humble discourses about the limitations of this technology. And you can theorize about anything. That's fine. There are people who believe that we live in a simulation. Can't prove that wrong. That That's an old debate. Are we in the matrix? Like, how would you prove that the matrix doesn't exist? You can't. <laughs> Because you, you don't have access to other minds. And, uh, and that's the problem is you can't prove or disprove it either way. You just have to say, okay, but even if a machine does have that capability, it still doesn't ever surpass the unmoved mover who is God. It doesn't ever surpass that. And you can bring in topics about sovereignty and determinism and free will. There's so many great kind of leadways into just that one discussion about will there ever be artificial general intelligence. But I would say even narrow AI is just as dangerous, if not more dangerous, because it's stupid. It's just, it's very dangerous if it's not put in the proper place. I, I think you did. The main point that I wanted to pull out of that was just how you personally go about talking to people outside of the Christian community and, and how you can connect with them and, and how you can connect your theology and your mindset from a Christian perspective to how they would think about it. Because I think that is where some really cool conversations start happening. When you just you know talk to people outside of what you believe and you're able to impact them. And I mean, we impact each other by communicating our thoughts and having conversations. 
Dr. Smith, I believe mm-hmm. we could continue to have this conversation for quite some time. <laughs> this is a really intriguing conversation, mm-hmm. something that I, I find a lot of interest in, and I appreciate that there is someone like you that has done a lot of specific research in this as it relates to the Christian community and really exposing how we can talk about this and and how we can communicate about it to each other and, again, to people outside of our worldview. I am just curious, how does your local church, how do they react to some of these topics and, and how do they perceive a lot of your work? Yeah, It's not like we talk about it much in my preaching or anything like that, but actually I've, I've done it. I've been doing a series on Wednesday nights about technology, so it has come up more recently. And yeah, I'm typically not shy about it, but I don't try to push it. And they get upset because they want to read my book and I won't sell it at church. I'm like, well, you know, I'll sell it to you, but I'm not going to bring like a stack of books down here and sell them. I'm just not there yet. But no, there's interest in it. And I think the more people that kind of talk about it and read it, like you said, they see, oh, okay, you're not crazy. You're trying to address this issue. And so I think more people appreciate it once they peek into the work a little bit. And, and, and they certainly do and are supportive. Yeah, absolutely. We all need support in our life. (laughs) Dr. Smith, again, thank you so much for coming on. This has just really been a neat conversation for me. I feel like this will also be a neat conversation for our audience and really just, again, for the Christian community to understand and learn more about. So thank you for your work. Thank you for coming on and look forward to keeping in touch with some more of your work. Thanks for joining us in this series as we explore more about who Jesus is. So much in our society has been influenced by his life in some way. Something I think about is that if I wanted to be the best painter I could possibly be, I would probably find the best painter in history to pattern after, maybe Leonardo da Vinci. If I wanted to create a really cool computer company, I would probably follow Steve Jobs. Plus, I don't know, apples are my favorite fruit, so that sort of makes sense. If I wanted to live the best life I possibly could, not just a good life, not even just a great life, but the best life, I would try to find someone who lived life perfectly. The only person I know of who has done that is Jesus. If you heard something today you're curious about, you have questions on, or you simply want to learn how to apply the message that Jesus gave us to your own life, I invite you to reach out. You can contact us just by going to our page at befundbecon.com forward slash Jesus taught me that. I'll see you on the next episode.